Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 10% off your new account, go to squarespace.com slash twip. This week on TWIP, GPS image tagging, my camera is better than yours, and a discussion on photographer branding with The Becker. All that and more coming up next on episode number 99 of This Week in Photography. And welcome to another exciting episode of This Week in Photography. Today, we've got a another really interesting show. It seems like I see that every week, but uh, it's a really interesting show. We've got some some uh, faces that haven't been on the show in a while, and, and a face that has been showing up on the show regularly, and hopefully we'll have her more, special guest star, Sarah France. Hey, Sarah. Hi. Thanks again for having me. You're welcome. Thanks for thanks for taking the time to chat with the Twip Army, and of course, coming to us from New York City is Mr. Steve Simon. Hey, Steve. How did you get Sarah France to come on the show, Fred? She heard you were coming on the show. Oh, and, <laughs> and you know that's how it's like Hollywood. That's how it works. You got to get yeah. the stars. You got to bait one star with another star. That's how it works. And then, of course, we have Mr. Aaron Mailer coming to us from the the East coast somewhere over there hey Aaron. it's a very rainy east coast at the moment which is oh, nice yummy. i like it that way it's very it's very hot here on the west coast it's yeah. seasonably hot yeah down Santa, sarah how is it down in san diego it is ridiculously hot and um yesterday my air conditioning went out in my car Uh-oh. how is that fair so you had to do you had to actually roll the windows down, huh? I know. <laughs> I'm so spoiled. And and you know what happens when you're so busy is like you're like, I don't have time to take my car in. Are you kidding? So I go to Puerto Rico for a week tomorrow, so I'm just gonna drop it off. Yeah, and it'll be nice and cool down there, so you'll be <laughs> <laughs> Well at least there'll be air conditioning in the cars. That's very true. That's very true. <laughs> Well, before we kick things off, let's uh, give a quick nod to our sponsor. Today, This Week in Photography is brought to you by Squarespace.com. They're the fast and easy way to publish to publish a high-quality website or blog. If you'd like a tre- free trial and 10% off your new account, head over to Squarespace.com slash TWIP and enter the offer code TWIP. And in the news today, a bunch of news to chat about. First on the list is Ricoh. They're they're optimizing their 500 SE camera. Uh, it's a GPS-enabled digital camera. Aaron, you put this in here. I want to talk a little bit about GPS technology in these cameras overall and, and how they're used and who's using them. But uh, you want to talk about Ricoh's latest entry? Sure. And it appears that the uh, GPS um, is a, it's a module that's added, and you have a choice of two. Uh, different ones to utilize. Though one of the two I find rather intriguing, though, because it actually has a three-axis compass in it too for azimuth, um, which I, I gather I, I was digging through the information trying to confirm that that was you know like a magnetometer or a, a digital uh, compass. And I assume it must be. They didn't say that outright in the documentation there that I was reading, but they did make reference later to the fact that uh, all these data fields that they also are adding on, I guess, to their extensions to their EXIF data um, include that compass information. So it would have to be. 
uh, you know, digital in that sense in order to record that. So I think so you're the only like, one. You're the only one, Aaron, that knows what azimuth is. Yeah. It sounds like you're slurring your words. I don't know what that is. Well, you what know, is have a what's an azimuth? What's an azimuth? Um, well, it's it's your basically it's your your compass point orientation. If I'm not mistaken, you've got uh, oh, okay. anybody who's into astronomy, which I'm not really, but you know you have uh, uh, azimuth as one of the you know, orientations that you deal with, one of the measurements or, or uh, directional okay. elements that you deal so, with. So essentially, it's the direction that the that you're pointing in, or the ve- or the vector, right? I believe so. And if gotcha. I'm wrong, I'm sure we'll hear about it. Yes, so. you will. Yeah, yeah. yeah direct yeah. your direct your comments to Twitter half press. I yeah. think you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's great at me. I'll take all it. your azimuth yeah. questions. Yeah, yes. all your azimuth. So, but, uh, so, so. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Aaron. Well, I was just going to say that they they have two GPS modules um, that are available for the camera. One is just you know pure GPS, and the other has the addition of the compass. Um, so, and it will stamp that additional compass information in as well. So, uh, and I'm. I'm really excited about any device that adds uh, digital compass capabilities like the new iPhone, the 3GS, because the possibilities yeah, – a, a GPS is wonderful. It gets your, your location um, you know, in three dimensions. It'll pinpoint precisely where you are, but it has no means of telling you what direction you were facing. And right. with a, a GPS, it's, you know, it's, it's vector data, essentially, so you can't um, – you can't have a sense of direction unless you're moving with a GPS, which is why if you're at a dead standstill when you ask for directions, you know, it has to take a just a wild shot at what direction to go in. You start walking, and odds are you've walked the wrong direction. You immediately have to turn around because it's not until you have motion where it can compare where you are now with where you were a few seconds ago that it knows what direction you're actually going in. But once you have a digital compass, even from a from a standstill, you have a you know a direction that you can be sent in. But uh, the other side of that for photography, though, is that your pictures have your location, you know, as to you know where you were on the map, but it also has the orientation as to what direction you were facing when you took that picture. And uh, I'm actually kind of curious to see um, whether any of the uh, the various geotagging programs, you know, acknowledge that right away. I haven't had that ability in my system, so I've never even looked to see whether that was an option. Like, yeah, that's interesting. Think, go, ahead, was, go ahead, Steve. Yeah, I was going to say, don't you guys think that, like, in the future, maybe it's here now and you can let me know, but, you know, there's a lot of sort of how-to photography books and blogs out there, and I can sort of see, um, a, you know, a book come out with, you know, a CD that's got images in it that will give you the geotagging information so you could actually go to the exact spot that the picture was taken, you know, using your own um, you know, GPS device. I mean, I, I'm sure we're going to see stuff like that start to kind of materialize, don't you? Yeah, no, totally. I I wonder because with with you know most lenses or some lenses, you can or all lenses, right? They you know what focal length that that the image was taken at. Thereby, you can sort of calculate how far away from the camera that Im- or the the scene that you're focusing on is. So if you can if you can discern that piece of data and now Aaron with this with this azimuth data you know so you know where you're standing you know the direction you're pointing in and you know how far away the subject was it seems like do you you think that (laughs) if you had the GPS info for Ansel Adams moonrise you'd be able to take that shot yeah well no 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 that's not that's not what I'm saying I'm saying in the future you should be able to uh, actually have an image or go to a certain spot and using some sort of technology that maybe is not even invented yet see stuff there you know virtually so go on a map and stand there and just sort of look around virtually and see you know and zoom in and out virtually and see all the photos that were taken from that particular spot in time no reason why them overlaid in 3d space no reason why google earth can't get you there right now yeah Yeah, 
Well, so, and it, it would be a really interesting way to uh, sell images, right? You're like standing at the Eiffel Tower and uh, your image shows up with a bunch of other ones and they go, yeah, I want to purchase an image from here. I'll just mm -hmm. take this one. <laughs> yeah. Ah, interesting. Yeah. So you yeah. could actually plug in your coordinates for images you're looking for and then they pop up. Well, that, that begins a, that's an interesting tangent there. So, Steve, both Steve and Sarah, you guys are working professional photographers. GPS technology, are you, do you use it today in any of your daily jobs, or do you see yourself using it in the future at all? Well, I think it depends on what kind of photographer you are, how useful it is. Um, because I'm a wedding photographer, they pretty much know where they were. So, um, But I do other kinds of photography for myself and uh, for the art. So definitely when I'm traveling, I would love to continually like use the GPS. It's out there now. Um, I haven't had a real need for it, so I hadn't, I haven't purchased it, but, um, but you can definitely do a lot of what you're talking about now. It's just interesting how they're going to integrate it really into, uh, how people are seeing images and finding images in the future. Yeah, I, I think that eventually um, it'll just be incorporated into all cameras like metadata is already. But I want to get one for sure. I want to get the Nikon makes the GP1, I think it is. And uh, mm -hmm. I think I have it on my list for, for Christmas slash Hanukkah this year. I'd love to get something like that. Why yeah, not? Steve, I mean, I can, I can definitely see you using it. I can see you in the middle of Botswana or someplace <laughs> well, you know, it's, take, it's, taking pictures and tagging them. It's so them. cool, you know, because you can go to the picture and then you can just click on it in, in programs like Aperture and others you can you can it will just automatically pop up a map and show you exactly where you were i mean why not it, it's very cool and you know and, and ultimately um if you have your stuff geotagged i think there are going to be uses and maybe uh ways to to sort of monetize some of this information that we haven't quite thought of yet but in the future yeah. we'll be able to do yeah. I'll, I'll take it slightly outside of the realm of normal photography here too but when we were talking earlier about the use of a gps combined with now a magnetometer essentially a, a digital compass <clears throat> um one thing and i'm going to mention the iphone again but fortunately i will say too that this will also apply i believe to the android some of the android phones and some of the others as well if you have a device like the iphone that has a video camera in it which the new model does a magnetometer in it um, for compass direction and a gps for your physical location by combining all those um, we've already seen some examples online, and I think they're going to start appearing as products soon, but they're what are called uh, augmented reality browsers. And what that is is the ability to hold the phone up with the video on so that you're while you're looking at the phone, you're seeing what you're pointed at, uh, just like you were you know, recording or getting ready to take a picture with the phone. But because it has your, your location by GPS and because it knows now what direction you're facing, adding all that information together, the software can now know what it is that you are looking at, and you can begin to superimpose information on the screen over top of things. Mm -hmm. So if you're standing at an intersection, you hold it up and you turn around 360 degrees. As you're turning, little pop-ups will appear on the screen telling you what's down that street what's located here you know what is That's in this cool. building and so on wow. and you can touch those and then move on it's not that it's recognizing the imagery at all it's not any kind of image recognition it's purely you know geographic yeah. information and, the, and that Maybe last key piece was direction was knowing what yeah. direction you're facing i like to call that the uh the terminator view yeah then you could just set your jetpack to take you wherever you want to right <laughs> Well, there's so been some cool. examples already from Britain. I believe that they were uh, they were pointing out post boxes, and you know, down the street is a post box or a phone box or something like that. So uh, there's there's several of those that are going to start appearing in the App Store pretty soon. Very cool. Wow. Well, uh, next in the news is Google. So they've they've added image usage 
write filters or writes filters to Google Image Search, which uh, allows you to have more power when you're filtering out explicit images and when you're looking for images that are licensed for third-party usage. Now, uh, Steve, specifically you, you know, your, your images... You shoot images for a client, or maybe you're doing a personal project or something like the Canada thing that you were just working on, the Canada Day project. Um, are you? Are they anywhere that Google can index them? And if so, how do you manage people finding these these you know valuable photos that you shot? Yeah, no, I, I don't really have them anywhere, as far as I know. Although Google can probably find anything anywhere, and <laughs> I won't be aware of it. But uh, I think the main thing is for photographers that want to, you know, that have their archive, they want to protect it. I think the main thing to consider is to to copyright your stuff. It's a bit of a pain, although now it's become a little bit easier. You can do it online, and I think ultimately that's you know your your biggest kind of insurance policy. Uh, against something uh, untoward happening to to your images. Now, I'm I'm not necessarily putting my stuff out there. I'm working on little projects that I'm going to bring to the world when I've edited them and they're ready. But uh, I suspect would they not see anything that's up on your website? Would 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 it not? Um, oh be yeah, able it'll to find f- it? if it's online, they'll find it. The spiders are everywhere. Yeah, so I, I really can't speak to it because I'm I'm not as as familiar with it, but uh, that's a little yeah. scary. So, Steve, that that sort of begets the question on the, the Flickr side of things. If you're a, if you're an amateur photographer and you're you're shooting and you know you make a modest income and you're you're posting your images to Flickr to get feedback from folks, what happens if you're driving in New York City one day and you look up and you see a billboard with your image up there advertising someone's product? And uh, they're making millions of dollars on that. What What's your course of action after that? Well, I think if you've uh, copyrighted your image, images, um, which if if you think that that is a possibility, it's always a good thing to do. And it, and once you do it once, it's like you know jumping in the pool. The water gets a little easier to deal with, and it's not that difficult to do. But if you copyright your images, you want people to steal them because if you if you recognize it and you've got the image copyrighted. Then you can get a financial um, uh, uh, penalty. Uh, you can sue them for money. If, no. if you don't copyright your stuff, it's going to be very hard to find anyone that's going to take your case. But if you copyright it, you know you've basically got a, a, a winning case there, and whoever has stolen your images is is in trouble. So you're almost saying you could build a business out of this, right? So you you could shoot all these, shoot like a, a 200 really beautiful tantalizing images and copyright them and put them on the web you know, oh i see like fishing and, you put your and trap out. people and exactly. trap people yeah well, and then, well, and then go find a, them it's not entrapment in the sense that people you know know what they're doing but the, the, it's it the odds are against it i mean it has happened and will happen but i mean the people that are putting up billboards the people in the industry understand the rules of law and they're not going to take a chance uh, you know without getting permission uh, using an image for the most part but it yeah. does happen as we know and uh, if you copyright your stuff that that's your insurance policy so you can, yeah. you can gang copyright a whole group you can gang copyright your whole website although it's constantly changing but um, it's it's a good idea to do in, in yeah, I, know, the, I know Scott Bourne Scott Bourne is uh, I know he's had some some experience with litigating against folks that have wronged him and, and taken his images and he's you know he's he's pretty vigorous about that and he uh you know, so if 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 you're thinking about grabbing one of Scott's images, I would think twice. <laughs> That's all Absolutely, I'm saying. yeah, me too. And really, anybody's images. You know, if if you're, I don't, I don't, I don't, I've never had it happen that I know of. You know, to me, yeah. but you know, I can, I can, 
that's going to be thing, a bad feeling. The thing that I don't like about what's happening is you have sort of established media organizations or even advertising people that are kind of fishing and flicker and flattering uh, amateur photographers by offering to use their image without payment, you know, as a way of getting sort of cheap imagery. And it, it just makes it difficult for the industry as a whole. I can't completely blame amateur photographers who, you know, it's not their thing and, and they're flattered to have an image being used. So, you know, it's those people that they know they shouldn't really be doing this. But, you know, it's a tough economy, I guess. People yeah. And Sarah, Sarah, on your side, the the. the circumstances are completely different because you have very explicit rights that you enter into in contractually with your clients when you shoot their events, correct? Right. Yeah. It, it's like that. And, and pretty much anything I shoot, I shoot for either a wedding client or for specifically for a commercial client. Okay. Got it. So they, so it's essentially, so on the wedding side, so what, what are the rights? Do they get, do they own those photos? And then after you shoot the wedding, you give it to them and they can, they can make that billboard if they feel like it, or do you own them and they have to ask you if they want to make a billboard? Yeah, I mean, every photographer has different, has their rights set up differently, but really how we have it set up is that we own the rights. We give them the rights to print and use their images if they have purchased the high res from us uh, for their own personal use, but it definitely lets them know in the contract that they don't have any other rights outside of that. So they can't actually take their wedding image and go sell it for commercial rights. Gotcha. That makes sense. That Sarah, makes sense. have you ever had people that kind of weren't really okay with that? They wanted to have more rights? Do you negotiate that? Has that happened or it doesn't happen very often? It doesn't really happen very often. I mean, I am close to LA, so um, that's about the only time I've seen anyone take a look at my image rights, to be honest. Like, uh, most people kind of look at it, don't really have much to say about it because they don't necessarily. Um, ever see a reason that that's going to come up. So as long as they're able to use the images as as they want um, and I'm not misusing them in the future, then um, they're fine with it. But we also do um, license some wedding images out. Um, Aperture has licensed some of the images, a wedding that I did, um, I guess it was a few years ago now. And so... I have to have that kind of coverage in my contract as well, but we always handle those sep- as separate incidences. So I make sure that we have model releases and things like that, um, specifically for for Apple for cases like that. Yeah, I would I would imagine that in in sort of celebrity cases where, for example, if it's a really high profile and People Magazine wants to use the images, we're talking really really big money. Uh, yeah. th- doesn't happen very often though. Now, Steve, you you recently shot Yoko Ono. When you when you photographed her, what were the what were the image usage restrictions, or was it just hey, give us everything you shot and get out of here, photographer boy? <laughs> yeah, I'm lucky I got out of there with the clothes that I was wearing. Uh, I only had 15 minutes. Um, they they had. Uh, I mean, the thing was, I mean, it changed kind of last minute, and this is kind of the worst kind of professionalism, really, because I was shooting for a newspaper. It was a very kind of low paying job. And uh, as a freelancer, I own the copyright to the images. And at the last minute, they slipped in this little contract where they wanted full um, approval rights of every frame that I took, which I wasn't willing to sign. But in the end, the newspaper was willing to give, and this is unusual in journalism, willing to give uh, Yoko's people 
um, you know, all the images that I sent them for them to approve. And, you know, in the end, they didn't improve, approve what I thought was the, the best shot. I mean, she, you know, just so you know, she's extremely sweet. She's 76 years old. I couldn't believe it. She looks amazing. But very tight control. And why not? I mean, you know, why not control your images that are out there? Absolutely. So the ones that, the ones that they chose, I mean, I, I, I suspect that she looked at them and thought she looked good in them. But from an editorial photographer's point of view, there were more interesting images that I would have liked to have seen been used. So, so that's where the, the problem is. You know, you're not shooting for the client, Yoko Ono. I'm shooting for an editorial publication, yet it ended up like I was shooting for, for her. Right. All right, we'll take a quick second to uh, give another nod to our sponsor, which I mentioned earlier. It's Squarespace.com. They're an easy way to build, host, and manage your website. They've got an easy-to-use UI for creating and managing a website or blog. They're optimized for beginners and those high-falutin CSS experts. And uh, they've got hundreds of design templates to choose from. So if you want a free trial, as we said earlier, head over to Squarespace.com slash TWIP. No credit card needed. Just try it out. Build a website. And if you decide to go forward and build a Squarespace site, you'll get 10% off when you enter the offer code TWIP. So make sure you check them out. And we're running, Aaron, we're running um, TwipLog with Squarespace, and you're happy with them so far, right? Oh, very much so. I'm really impressed with it, and I've, I've since recommended it to other individuals, just friends and family, and they're all making use of it as well and quite happy with it. So Excellent. wonderful system all the way around. And if I'm not mistaken, the way that 10% works, too, is that is 10% off for the life of your subscription. It's not oh. just a discount off for the initial sign-up. Excellent. So. Excellent. So, yeah, squarespace.com. So continuing on in the news, Nikon has issued a service advisory uh, for the D5000 camera. Uh, and this one is specific. This one specifically addresses power issues with a very specific batch of D5000s. I'm not sure what that power issue was. Aaron, did you read any deeper into this? Um, I, from what I understand, that they had a tendency to not come on. <laughs> So. That would be a power issue. <laughs> yep, yeah, intermittently. I, mean, I don't know that it just means that it ceases to function at all, but uh, there would be times that it wouldn't come on. Yeah, it sounds like someone on the assembly line had to go to the bathroom or something for a few minutes. Exactly. <laughs> a batch of cameras got you know missing a specific. Yeah. You just ended up with this, this, va this bucket of parts. They're like, where do these go? <laughs> it's always that remaining nut you know, after you put it back together. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And then also, finally, in the news today, uh, On One Software has released or is about to release. By the time this hits, they may have released it fully, but their DSLR camera remote application for iPhone. So it's moving the 1.1 it up, update. Yeah, mo yeah moving, it, moving it to version 1.1 from 1.0. The original version was Canon only, and uh, it got mixed reviews in terms of its usefulness and uh, just its stability, I guess. Uh, now they've. It sounds like from the review that I read on the what, what site was that, Aaron? That we're going to link to is it Gilbraith's site? Uh, yeah, it's off yeah. the Gilbraith site. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. It sounds like uh, they fixed most of the issues in there and added support for Nikon and added support for Lightroom and moved it out of the whole proof of concept phase into more of hey, you can actually incorporate this thing into your workflow. Usable app at this point. Yeah, and I, I read the article, and it looks really looks really interesting. Not not 
you know, of course, because now I can use it because I use Nikon cameras. But <laughs> just from the standpoint of, wow, okay, so all these controls are now on the back of my phone. I can set up a shoot if I'm going to do something like product photography or something like that. I can set that up. I can tether it to a computer and then basically <clears throat> have all the control over most of the features in the D700 or D3 and a slew of other cameras, Canon and Nikon, that they have listed um, directly from the back of the camera, including seeing previews from the images that I'm shooting, triggering the camera, changing f-stop, changing shutter speed, burst mode, bracketing, all that stuff, right from the iPhone, which is which is wow. pretty incredible. Yeah, that's like calling it in for sure. Yeah, yeah, totally iPhoning it in. <laughs> <laughs> I might have to test that out. I'm shooting a proposal in a in a couple weeks. <laughs> I need to good. set up a yeah. I need to set up a, a camera that uh, she won't notice. So. Oh. Ah, that would that might work. Yeah. Oh, a pr- wedding proposal. I'm thinking. You're Sorry. A, a business proposal. What? How do you, how do you <laughs> no. shoot that? You were awfully <laughs> quiet. Yeah. Oh, no. I'm, Insert I'm crickets. A wedding proposal. Yeah. And we've yeah, got what? it all set up, but um, I got to figure out how to hide myself, and it would be really cool to have a camera right there somewhere. Yeah. Oh, and also, you it would it also out. be good that if it's uh, sort of stealth. In case things don't go well, you don't have to go <laughs> just, right there. I was just thinking that. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have Is to there... pop out of the bushes and be exactly. like, hey, Gadget. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, Is there a plan in the contract for, you know, for A or B? I mean, depending which way it goes. <laughs> no, he's paid in full. He's <laughs> gotta, nice. It's got to work. Sorry. <laughs> hey, Sarah, you might have the beginnings of a new reality show. You know, kind of <laughs> like cheaters, but you can call but it proposers. <laughs> Although, women i'm pretty i'm pretty much sure it's like a 99 percent, if not higher that women say yes right i mean a guy doesn't ask if he doesn't know yeah yeah i don't know probably. i have no data on that <laughs> do you do you know something we don't know frederick if, i have no data that, no? you know all the women i asked to marry me always say yes so it's good <laughs> Oh, oh, well. so, 100% of them. <laughs> Frederick responds with just checking, you know. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. psych. <laughs> anyway, uh, so on to the uh, photo assignment in the current poll. Aaron and Mailer, take it away. Uh, first off, I will extend thanks to listener Randy Brown for this uh, for this poll question, and actually probably for uh, the ones coming in you know in the next several weeks. Um, he actually sent me a nice long list of very creative ideas, and uh, it's going to save us some thinking for a few weeks here too, putting together polls. So uh, I put this one up uh, last night. It's already in action, and uh, it's it's already starting to get results. But the question is: for your next DSLR purchase, will you hold and stick with your current brand, or will you fold and switch to a different brand? And of course, you do options are hold or fold and uh, i will say right now hold is uh, is dominating just from, from having posted it some hours ago yeah. so what, what is it about loyalty that people have to things you know and and cameras i mean people are so passionate i mean it's sort of like being an apple person or a pc but there's 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 something that goes beyond just sort of normal having a thing it's, yeah. it's, well, with cameras you get a factor in the lens investment I mean that's yeah. one of my positions on it. I mean, but it yeah. goes beyond that. I think I think it goes beyond that because it's it, people get people want to come to blows yeah. and people yeah. are like, oh, you're a 
ex shooter yeah. or you're a so and so shooter as if that somehow it is a reflection on the quality of your work, you know, because I use this kind of stuff versus the kind of stuff you chose. You know, <laughs> I, it's weird. I don't know. I guess it's sort of like car people too. You know, I drive a certain car, people will attach things to it. But uh, but in the camera world, I mean, you see it on the blogs. People are just you know so passionate about it and i guess because you know when you love taking photography doing photography and you've got your your stuff i guess you love that stuff but uh have, have you guys switched um systems at all i have i have definitely and before i tell you the story of why i switched but it was i think a lot of it with this the reason people are are tied in it's got to have something psychologically to do with stockholm syndrome you know, you're, you're identifying with your captor, and now you just kind of love them. You know, do you own them or do they own you? I'm not really exactly. You were all I, just Patty Hearst. You know, I, I think if somebody switches, I mean, they have a really big. That's a really big decision because it's a big financial decision, and financial decisions affect your business in in a huge in a huge way. So, I think the loyalty with brands or anything to do with that is a lot of just you're so invested in that and mm-hmm. um like switching is is a huge challenge but you know a lot of times i think people just fear what they don't what they don't know and i i definitely know that um i've i've done it at times for sure because i just think that i'm very loyal to the products that i use just because I, I love them and they run my business and I couldn't do business without them. So the, because I feel so passionately about that, I feel very passionately about the products and services that I have. But it's sort of like, uh, it's sort of like, you know, getting married. I mean, it's, you know, you, you, I've, I've stuck, let's say for, with Nikon since I was a kid and there, there, there was times when, you know, can't sort of, you know, the, the race seesaws all the time in terms of who's got the latest, greatest, but I, I kind of feel somehow that, like I'm proud that I managed to sort of hang with them all these all these years, kind of thing. And I, I don't. It's not. It's not rational. It's not necessarily logical in terms of money invested. But it is something more than that. I think it's part of just maybe, you know, the way we get attached to things and being humans. I don't. Know. I think. I think some of it, Steve, has to do with using the gear that you have or don't have as a crutch you know we talked about this i led this a couple of photo walks this weekend for the scott kilby worldwide photo walk thing and having conversations with people about gear you know and a lot of people were like oh you're a nikon shooter or oh you're a canon you know and my response to that over the years has come to you know if you if if it's come to the point where you feel like you I am a better or worse shooter because of the glass and these this jumble of electronics and metal that I use to create my images, then you're you're using that as a crutch, you know, to say that if I had if only I had the Nikon D three, I would be a good photographer. You know, when in reality you could be shooting with your iPhone or with a little point and shoot and create some stunning images. You know, one of my favorite images of all time I shot with my G nine. You know, so it's it's not about the gear. And I think a lot of people move to the point of thinking, you know, some of that Stockholm syndrome is in there. But I think a lot of people are using the the lack of the ability or their lack of ability to purchase the latest gear as an excuse for not getting the most out of the photo or the, the the gear that they have right now. So then, you know, it's a little bit of transference going on there. And my Let's advice talk- would be my advice would be. 
use whatever camera you have because chances are i would bet that 99 percent of the people out there uh haven't maximized everything that the camera that they have can do yet they're lusting after that next best camera you know or casting aspersions on people because they chose a different brand over theirs you know so just use what you have there's still a technical versus creative argument though and and where i mean <laughs> when the when the new wave and icons came out over the last year i mean we were all here on the show definitely talking about the the high iso capabilities mm-hmm. you know, so again that's you know let's draw a line too though between the technical true, capabilities true, but that you come can, with new you can, versus like the people the people that moved to the 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 canon 5d when that an amazing camera you know when that thing came out um, and then you rewind time back to the Canon 10D, which I still have one of those, you know. And when I got that thing, I was creating some really cool images, you know, back then. And you, the point is, you can create cool images. Don't let don't let lust for the latest right. and greatest gadget stop you or inhibit you from creating images with what you have. Because yeah, people I, were I, creating great images with pinhole cameras. You we, know? Could, uh, we, we could Do compartmentalize. Not, I, like people, you know, we, there's the geek in us, and then there's the artist mm-hmm. in us. And I suppose the two can be very separate and you know you can really enjoy the whole equipment thing and 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 appreciate the object and then the actual shooting of course it doesn't matter what you use uh, it just matters what you kind of sure see i'm just drawing a line between the the technical aspect and the creative aspect to some extent i mean and i, I completely agree with you guys because i've got some of my oldest cameras that from a technical standpoint don't hold a you know a candle to what i have now also, some of my most creative shots I've taken in life were taken yeah. with some of that equipment. And yeah. sometimes the limitation on the camera leads to some of the creativity. Yeah. I in think a, case, candle, sure. a candle was my first flash. But anyway, right. continue. <laughs> <laughs> but there's no arguing, too, though, that you can look at an image taken with one of the newest ones, especially a low-light image that's yeah. you know, high ISO, low noise, and there's a very clear technical advantage. So there may be some images that you will achieve because you have the latest gear, but it's True. not going to make you a more creative photographer. Let's put it right. that way. Yeah, yep. yeah. Absolutely. Is it because you have the latest gear or because you have another brand? I mean, really. Right. Well, yeah, now that there's that argument, too. <laughs> well, it depends yeah. on which brand is currently leading the pack from a technical standpoint, yeah. too. So. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah maybe the, the final word really should be, if I had a D3X, I would be a better photographer. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> yes, you would, Steve. You, 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 you would actually, you know, jump, jump the broom there. Steve Simon is no longer single, ladies and gentlemen. So all the ladies and gentlemen out there that thought they were going to have a Steve have a chance with Steve Simon, you no longer have a chance. Steve has wed. Congratulations, Steve. Oh well, thanks, guys. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun, and we just did a, a small little ceremony in in New York, and a friend of mine uh, from uh, Toronto came in specifically to just do some kind of photojournalistic coverage of the wedding, and uh, it's weird as a photographer to suddenly have the camera pointed at you. Um, I, I've never liked the way I look in pictures, and I think I've, I'm like a lot of people, and particularly maybe photographers. But uh, Mark did a really good job, and I, I do think that you know, as much you know, the way Sarah works. I mean, she gets absolutely gorgeous images of of people both during the wedding and and before when they're posing and doing doing their thing with her. But we didn't really do that. It was more of a kind of a natural catching of us and uh and you know i have to admit the ones shot with it was kind of a learning experience because i'm looking at myself and i haven't seen all the images but the one shot with sort of telephoto lenses i kind of like a little bit better i think i look a little bit better so it's it's interesting i think it might even affect you know the times that i do weddings that you know looking at the stuff that uh that i'm actually in all these pictures so but thank you thank you you're welcome congratulations and speaking of congratulations 
Also in order, uh, congratulations are also in order for Mr. Alex Lindsay and his wife. They have welcomed into the world a new person. So Alex's wife just had a baby. I think it was, I don't know, about a week ago now, maybe a little less than a was, week ago. I think it was about middle of last week. So it was after last week's show. Yeah, it was like a little girl, I think, right? Yep. Yep. So yeah. Alex is now even more busy than he was before. Yeah. I voted for Frederica as a name, Fred, but I don't know if it Aww. made the cuts. Yeah, I, I actually told him to uh, go with Nikon, and I think he did. So, no. <laughs> you don't want to switch, though. That could be fun. You know, hey, and then the next one could be canon, you know. <laughs> Uh, so let's move on. I want to I want to uh, do a quick intro to our guest, uh, Mr. Christopher Becker. He is a photographer that's actually down in Sarah France's neighborhood down in Southern California. Doesn't he and like to be called the Becker? He does. He likes to be called the Becker. And we got into that in the interview as to how he built his brand because and that was that was kind of the gist of the interview. I wanted to talk less about photography and more about just sort of how you brand yourself. And because he's you you know, I would argue that he's one of the the masters of that, having gone from where he was and and built up this really successful business in many facets, whether it be photography, training, all sorts of things. He built all this stuff up, created a brand, branded himself, and boom, and now he's out there. So the interview centered around photographer branding and how you can do it for yourself. So give it a listen, Mr. The Becker. Hey, Becker, thanks for coming on This Week in Photography. Hey, Frederick. Thanks for having me. I'm stoked to be here, man. Yeah, this is awesome. So, uh, you know, I want to jump into it uh, right away and sort of I have a ton of questions for you. And the first of them is, how did you get started in this stuff? And, and, and why did you get started? You know, I took a high school photo class 20 years ago. 1989, I just fell in love with photography. Then I started doing the school newspaper and yearbook and just started shooting pictures I started working at a photo lab, and my whole life, uh, the last literally 20 years, has been all about photography, and I've been absolutely loving it. So what was the impetus? You know, a lot of people say, you know, hey, my dad had a camera, and he influenced me into getting into photography, or I saw this one image, and after I saw that image, I had to get into photography. What was the thing that kicked you over the, the edge and made you want to be a photographer? Well, um, to be honest, like I was taking an art class, and uh, the teacher who taught the art class, he taught like five periods of photography, one period of art, and I just liked the teacher. He's a really cool guy, and he's like, "Hey, you should take my photo class." And I thought, "Okay, I'll take, I, you know, I'll pick up a camera. It sounds fun." And honestly, I really liked it. And then again, I was a really shy kid in high school, and um, and it was a way to meet girls. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I will take pictures of the pretty ladies, and. Uh, and so you so, were you were that guy, huh? I was that guy. <laughs> I wanted to be a fashion photographer for the longest time, and I used to shoot models and actors and headshots, and I did that for a few years before getting into weddings, and honestly, just got so burnt out on that industry because all them pretty girls are crazy. So uh, <laughs> I traded in the crazy models for the crazy brides, but thankfully, I've I've had some pretty cool brides to deal with. So. That's awesome. So then, yeah. so then, uh, so you know, fast forward. You got into photography. You love it. Are you doing the wedding photography? Um, you're an educator. You're an entrepreneur. How did you transition from you know I'm just going to shoot weddings every weekend to now I'm going to start teaching people how to shoot weddings? Well, again, so like I got into weddings about 13 years ago after watching those Dennis Reggie videotapes and was just uh, 
again, after doing the fashion stuff, I was like, no, this is what I want to do. Um, and and I, I don't know, I just I, I started doing my business. And I, I had some people called overnight success, but I'm like, well, I worked really hard for several years. And then it did seem that, you know, we started making a name for ourselves and we started, you know, booking some nice jobs and getting lots of business. And, and then, um, you know, right at the same time in the you know, late '90s, '97, '98. As I was building my business, this um, this uh, internet that Al Gore invented started popping up, and I started getting just again emails and calls from photographers all over the country, just asking questions and Hey, how do you do this? And and over the years, it just kind of just snowballed and snowballed, and uh, you know, and here I am today. So <laughs> yeah. So then, so business is still going well, and that that begs the question. You know, we're in, you know, two thousand nine, and the, the a global economic recession, whatever you want to call it, is not good when you you know dealing with money right now. How is your business faring in this economy? Honestly, my business is doing great, and I um, think it's because you know. Uh, my clients, they're still rich, you know. <laughs> I know people are people are losing their houses and people are having a rough time, but thankfully, I, I the kind of weddings that I'm doing, um, you know, most people are still pretty uh, pretty well off. And you know, I I remember working at that photo lab. The owner told me that people would rather eat cat food than not have pictures of their kids. Yeah, and yeah. Um, you know, people still fall in love in good times and bad, and weddings are still happening. And because we've built a nice little boutique brand and a and a following um, amongst my my clients and brides um you know i still get plenty of referrals and i'm shooting you know just about as many wed weddings as i expected to every year we seem to do a, a few less weddings for a little more money because we keep raising our rates and stuff and just being a little more exclusive but uh again I i'm having a great time i'm gonna have a great 09 and and uh 2010 is actually shaping up pretty well and we're having a good time well then, uh, talk. You you mentioned your brand and and being a boutique brand. How did and and it, just before that, before you answer that question, how did you brand yourself? I mean, I, I know you go by the name Simply Becker. Why is that, and how did that come about? Well, it's one of those things. Like again, my, all my friends were calling me that anyway, and I wanted to make a name for myself. Like I I knew you know I was never going to be a star athlete or a rock star, but um, I wanted people to remember me as an artist. And so we just kind of dropped the first name. All my Facebook friends know me as Christopher, and I always joke around and tell people I'm not as pretentious as I pretend to be. Um, but I I went with the Becker just just so people would remember it. It's a it's just one name like Bono, Sting, Madonna, not Cher. Um, but you know, we just, again, I wanted people to remember me and that's the thing over the years as I've built my business and you know, yeah, I know that people kick around that term like rock star photographer. I'm like, whatever. It's like, I'm just a regular guy, a regular photographer, just, you know, having a business. But thankfully my clients like have always seemed to like what I've done and they refer me to their friends. And, you know, it's not about just taking good pictures, but also giving them great service and an outstanding experience. And that's what I'm all about. Well, how important is branding in, in wedding photography or just photography in general or any sort of you know, art-based service industry? Is it, is it critical that you know, people perceive you a certain way or is it more critical that you are producing a certain level of work or both? Well, I, I think uh, I tell people all the time, I think the brand is your most valuable asset as an artist, especially with more and more photographers getting in the business all the time. And it's just kind of for the longest time you thought like wedding photography, and it was just like like your image in your head was just some old man that would show up and take these standard photos that were, 
you know, right off of a checklist and it was like anybody could do it. And for the longest time, I think wedding photography was like the lowest rung on the uh, photo food chain there. Yeah. And I don't think it's like that anymore. I think like there are some really good photographers that are making great livings and they're doing something that I absolutely love and they take pride in it. And, and again, there are a lot of photographers out there. So I think it really is important to have a well-defined brand so that you can stand out from the pack. And that's what I've been able to do. And um, you know, like I said, we've built a nice little following and I, I really think that the brand, um, it is, it, like I said, the most important asset for a photographer. So then, you know, people say that wedding photography, you know, maybe this is, it's, uh, maybe it's different today, but people in the past have said that wedding photography is a commodity. You know, you have an event that's going to happen and you know, it's a planned series of events. You know, there's going to be a bride, you know, there's going to be a ring, you know, she's going to be getting dressed, you know, there's going to be a reception. You know generally what's going to happen. Uh, and then you, you, you intersperse into that the, the, the notion of wedding photojournalism. Would you consider yourself a wedding photojournalist or, or how do you position your business? Well, I definitely have a documentary style. My whole goal is to show up at these weddings as if I was just an old friend with a fancy camera. And I try to shoot most of the day, very fly on the wall, very, hey, don't mind me, just do your thing. I'll let you know if I need a little attention from you guys, if I am going to take a couple like portraits. I talk about in my business taking the relaxed portrait. And I think the comment that I get from people is like, it never, even though obviously there are posed pictures, it never has that like fake smile forced on their face. And people seem to have a good time because like I said, I'm trying to use my personality um, to really kind of interact with the clients and stuff. And I think that's actually um, my greatest asset, you know, is uh, my ability to make people feel comfortable in front of my camera, my ability to make people feel comfortable in my living room when they're about to hire me. Yeah. You know, like you said, because again, it's like, yeah, photography photography, right? Yeah, okay. Anyone can shoot your wedding. But guess what? I'm only available, you know, for one couple every Saturday because, uh, you know, I, I, I have a, a high value on my time and my service. And like I said, I just kind of, again, I, I approach it more like an artist. And when you come down to, again, a brand and a name and, and stuff like that, like, you know, people know the big name artists, but there's plenty of artists that you don't know their name. And so it's like, and then sometimes you look at it and go, oh, well, is that good just because it's a great painting or is it good because it has Picasso's name signed to it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not that's a huge fan of Picasso, but that's, <laughs> that's just me. Not my, not, not my cup of tea, but, you know. Right. Yeah, well, it's art. It's, it's supposed yeah. to be subjective. So then what about the, the photographers that are jumping in? You know, say say here's a, here's a case study. There's a photographer that, uh, you know, decided, hey, I just lost my job in technology and I decided that, uh, I'm not going to go back into corporate America. I'm going to start a photography business. Maybe he has limited skills. Maybe not. You know, what would you? What would your advice to him be? Well, again, I, I think um, I think it's the most important thing that you can do is do something that you love doing, and that's why I feel lucky every day because I'm doing something again that I've wanted to do since I was in high school, and it's like it's so fun to go out there and shoot and and do my thing. And so I would say if you're looking at photography as just a way to um, make a paycheck. Yeah, I guess you could do that and you can get some money. But again, I think it's the people that really, um, again, take the pride in what they're doing. They have passion for it and they're authentic. I think those are the people that are going to be, you know, very successful. And again, I, you know, with, with all the stuff and all the people I've encountered over the years, you know, you see some that are doing really well and you see some that are doing okay. You see some that are struggling and it seems to be universal that the people who are doing really well are the people who really pour their whole life into it, their heart and soul, and they they invest time and money in going to workshops and seminars and trying to better their craft and 
And again, I think a lot of time it just really does come down to that ambition. So for the guy who just got laid off his tech job, it's like I think photography is a great way to make a living if it's something that you really want to do. If you're just looking to make a paycheck and make some extra money on the weekends, like, okay, that's probably all you'll make is a little extra money. I don't know that you'll make a career or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. So then, okay, so what about uh, – let's just talk a little bit about gear and that sort of thing. You know, you're on a wedding. Uh, you, you typically probably have a standard checklist of things that you bring. Can you just touch on that a little bit and kind of the things you, you take out with you? Yeah, I, I um, you know, for the longest time I was by, I had Nikon and Canon. I was going back and forth, and uh, I've kind of settled on the Canon system just because, honestly, I like the 50 millimeter 1.2 lens. You know, yeah. Nikon came out that D3, which is actually a really good camera, and I was able to test that, and I really liked it, but. Uh, they don't have a 51 too, and that Canon lens is my favorite lens, and I do shoot 90% of my images with it. But I, you know, I have got the, all the standards: the 70 to 200, the 24 to 70. Uh, I I use a 24 1.4 for my wide stuff. I got a fisheye that I never use, and you know, whatever. Are you, are you using any strobe when you're when you're at an event? Yeah, I just got a couple of 580s and stuff, and I've been playing around with a little more like off-camera flash, and sometimes I'll just put one on top of like the DJ's speaker with a pocket wizard or something just to get a, a second angle on the light and and just kind of mix it around but thankfully a lot of the weddings that I'm shooting um, they bring in some cool lighting so I'm shooting a lot of ambient stuff and then um, again with these new cameras they're pretty good at the high ISOs so oh, you can yeah. rock out 1600 or 3200 and still get a pretty clean file especially when I'm shooting my 51 too and I shoot pretty close to wide open and I like to blow the backgrounds out of focus and just make the the subject really stand out. That's just kind of a hallmark of my style. So yeah, that's great. Wow, you said so. That's your that's your workhorse lens, the fifty one two. Yeah, I, I shoot that all the time, and it's just like I could I probably could shoot an entire wedding with it. I'd have to sneak up a little closer during the ceremony, but uh, <laughs> no, I usually picking people off in the back with the seventy two hundred. But you know, I'm not really a a, a big gearhead kind of guy, but because I think it's like. It really doesn't matter what you're using. There's plenty of people that shoot good pictures, even with a Nikon, you know? Yeah. Now, are you just, no, fast forward to after the event and you're, you're uh, putting the images online for the, the clients to view. Uh, I know you've been a proponent from when I met you, when I was at Pictage, you've been a proponent of using uh, your own do-it-yourself sort of system. You want to explain just how you do that, just from a high level, not into the details, but you know why do you, you prefer having your own shopping cart versus uploading your stuff to uh, a, a service that's going to charge you for it? Well, again, it's right there. It's the service that's going to charge you for it. And, and that's only part of the reason. The business uh, standpoint, that's one thing. But then I think part of the reason when we all switched to digital, I switched in 2001 and, um, you know, I know some people switch before that, but it seems like most people are switching after. But one of the great advantages of digital is the control that you have over the files. And again, I worked for a long time at a photo lab and they dropped their film off. We'd process the film, we'd print it, and we would print it how we printed it. You know, there wasn't a lot of input that the photographers gave and there wasn't a lot that they could do. I mean, they could ask it for darker or whatever, but digital gives you so much control um, as far as how you process things in Photoshop or whatever with all the actions. And so I think in addition to like your photographic style, I think people also have a post-processing style that is pretty much, you know, dictated by them and the lab, you know, they could try to do it, but I, I kind of like in was a control freak as far as the images go. And so that was one of the reasons I decided to do it myself. But then the other reason also, yeah, from a business standpoint, I didn't want someone taking a percentage of every sale that I made 
while also charging me like a monthly fee or an upload fee or all that stuff. So it just seemed like silly from a business standpoint just to keep paying for another company to be rich where I'm trying to like make the money and keep it for myself. Because they say it's not how much money you make, it's how much money you keep. So I was just tired of throwing my money away on these other services. So we've been really happy with PickPick and you pay a one-time fee and then nothing else. So it's pretty nice. But then, then you pay that one-time fee and you have the shopping cart installed. What about the, the time from, say, I'm, a, I'm your client and I, I pick 50 images that I want uh, and I put them in my shopping cart and I click order. You've got my credit card information, et cetera. What happens after that? Well, again, I do have a staff that helps me out with that stuff because I've got a lot of things going on. Now, if I if I didn't have all these other uh, extracurricular projects, I could certainly process the images myself in Photoshop or Lightroom or Aperture and send them to the lab and you know uh, save money compared to some of those online services. Their lab fees um, are really a lot more than most professional labs when you would send in a WYSIWYG file. So, um, you know, again, I've got a great staff that they handle all that stuff. They ship it out. And I I think the other thing about having that cart is we have it on our website. Um, So our clients, I think, are a little more uh, comfortable in sharing their credit card information with it because we probably already have it. And it's just trusted. It's not going to a third-party service. And, you know, my clients aren't getting bombarded with spam messages or anything like that. We just kind of let people know, hey, here's the shots. If you want to order them, knock yourself out. But we've never been one that's like, um, really focused on selling reprints or pictures per se. Like I sell myself and I try to get paid for my time and talent. Anything else that they buy is just a bonus. But thankfully that pick pick cart is pretty slick and we did pretty well selling loose reprints last year. So That's really cool. All right, Lyle, I want to talk a little bit about your extracurricular activities. I know you've got a couple of things going on. You've got the B School and you've got uh, this Party of Five uh, project that you're working on. Can you uh, explain? Let's start with the B School. What is that about? Well, the B School, we just, you know, over the years, we've been a part of many um, online communities for photographers and some actually really good ones. And I've made some incredible friends and great connections. And we just decided as you know, as like technology advances and things like MySpace and Facebook and Twitter were getting more and more popular, we just kind of thought like, oh, like a like a V bulletin board forum just seemed so 90s, you know. So we actually made our own custom social network for photographers, you know, just a, another way to pe- for people to connect online. And it's the same kind of discussions that are going on. People are, you know, chatting in the forums, but we do have like, you know, video classroom and we have a way to keep track of you know, your friends' schedules and stuff like that. Because I've always been a big proponent of photographers helping photographers. And I've built my business by connecting with, you know, a handful and then more than a handful of photographers in my area that are giving me overflow referrals. When they're booked on a date, they're sending me referrals. And when I'm booked, I'm sending them referrals. And it's just kind of a different thing that we started doing right at the beginning. We noticed a lot of photographers back in the day weren't really willing to share or help out and it was very closed off and so me and my buddy Joe Photo and then eventually just some other guys we all just started kind of helping each other out and our businesses just grew and grew and grew and flourished and like we thought gosh why not just help each other and so that was kind of the whole basis for the B schools we wanted a place where photographers who are interested in helping people out and and giving back and not just taking and taking taking so that's what we built. We built this custom network. We're pretty stoked on it, and it's it's going pretty good so far. And then what about Party of Five? What is, what is that about? 
Party Five is just, again, uh, a small little workshop that I host at my house. Um, again, it's just five people in my living room. I just, I've been to so many seminars in, at, you know, at WPPI or, or other parts of the world, and you see some photographer in a hotel ballroom with his laptop telling you how great he is and how fun their business is. And sometimes you just kind of go like, oh, I think they're, they're BSing us a little bit, or maybe they're ex- exaggerating the truth, or sometimes it just seems not very genuine. Right. So I just said, hey, come on over. I'll show you. I'll show you exactly what I do. Like no questions uh, or off limit. I'll, I'll answer whatever you want. And I just show them, hey, look, here's how we deal with the couples. Here's how we have our gallery set up. Here's how we sell. Here's how I do my post-processing. I, I take them out and I do like a, a engagement shoot with one of my actual couples, not models, like actual one of my wedding clients. And then we shoot the photos. Then we come back and we process the photos. And they're blown away that I can you know, shoot 1,500 shots at an engagement session in, you know, half hour or 45 minutes. I do shoot a lot. I have a very slutty finger. Um, <laughs> you don't know where that thing's been. But, uh, no, but then I'll come back and I will um, process all the images, back them up, edit them, tweak them, put them online, back them up to DVD, and, and blog about it all within an hour. And people are blown away because we have a super awesome workflow. And um, so that's what the Party 5 is. It's just I do it a couple times a year. So you're you're opening the kimono to the community, basically. Well, yeah, it's like, hey, come on and check. Like I said, I I I think that again, I'm just a big believer in helping people out, and um and like I said, I've just seen so many people. They just their business takes off after uh, spending some time with me. And like I said, we like sharing because then again, I all these people that used to be my assistants that are now, I guess you would call competitors, but I don't think of it that way. I think of it as colleagues and like, hey, great, send me a referral in your book, you know, yeah. return yeah. the favor here, you know. So we've just been like. Again, building this great community of people that are just willing to be cool and open up and and share. And I think we've got a special thing here in Southern California, and um, it, it, it's catching on other places, you know. Because I've been traveling a lot. I shoot weddings all over the country and uh, all over the world, even. And I see people all the time, like, "Oh, Becker, you're so lucky in Orange County. Everybody all networks." And I'm like, "Well, it didn't used to be that way." So it's just a matter of like people stepping up and. Uh, taking charge, and I, I think more and more people are getting that it's better to um, to work with each other than than be like fierce competitors. Awesome. Well, Becker, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. What's uh, where can people keep up with you and and find out about the stuff you're working on? Well, you can go to beckersblog.com, and that is my blog that has links to pretty much everything else. It has links to thebschool.com. Uh, the B school, the B school, it is only ten dollars a month. But if you're not ready for that, I have the B school blog. There's over 150 free videos and just advice and tips. And then we still, you know, feature some industry news on there. It's totally free. But um, and then I have my website is thebecker.com for my wedding portfolio. And then I also have the thebecker.net that has all my personal work. But beckersblog.com is like home base for me, and I try to update that four or five times a week. Awesome, and you're on Twitter as well, right? What's your of course, address? Twitter, uh, the Becker, uh, twi- Twitter.com/slash/theBecker, and then I just got my Facebook.com/slash/theBecker as well. Excellent. All right, Becker, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to tell me how you're doing your business. Anytime, bud. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Becker. So that was the Becker. Uh, if you want to learn more about Becker, just check out the show notes, or you can just Google him. Actually, just Google the Becker, and you'll find him. And uh, you know, it's a as you as you heard from that interview, he's a very colorful guy, very interesting, and has a lot to say 
about everything. So he's he's a good person to follow and pattern yourself after if you're trying to build a brand and get your name stamped into the minds of people. So on to the listener questions. The first one is assigned to Mr. Steve Simon. It's about Lynn's universality. Universality. Go ahead, Steve. Okay, I'll, I'll read from it by Ryan Seamers. And uh, Ryan asks, I look into bodies and lenses from both Canon and Nikon um, and the high price of those lenses. So he, his wife asked him uh, a question um, that he really couldn't answer. Why aren't the lenses more universal from body to body? How come only some models like the D5000 and D90 can accept all Nikon lenses and others like the D50 can't? Is this just a pricing gimmick from the manufacturers? Or is there something else to it? Well, I mean, my first answer is, and, you know, you guys correct me if I'm wrong because I don't necessarily know that I know all this, but, you know, obviously um, each manufacturer wants to sell their own line of lenses so they have a specific mount that is unique to their, their line. And as it happens, you know, we're pretty fortunate as photographers because um, I truly believe that Nikon, you know, m- thinks that they make the best lenses, as does Canon, and they want, um, you know, it fits with the equipment, it fits fits with the the vision of the system. So there are reasons to do it. And frankly, um, in my career, um, every time I've gone kind of off-brand, I've usually not been very happy. So I tend to stick. I'm a Nikon shooter. I tend to shoot with Nikon. Now, he was also asking about why certain lenses won't... um, sort of work with some some models in the system you know nikon in particular has had that nikon f system since 1959 um long time ago even before i was around and and almost every lens will fit on every nikon camera but some of the more recent um lower end models will not allow full functionality with some of the new lenses but you know the higher end ones that that were mentioned um do allow you to use just about any lens that was ever created in the system and and the beauty is as we're discovering now with the high-end digital sensors you can put a very old lens on it it may not have autofocus but the quality is still pretty amazing and you know in some ways you know you're buying the lenses and the cameras are kind of interchangeable because the lenses you can keep for a very long time cameras generally don't have that same life so um i hope that answers uh some of that that question yeah yeah i think you did and the next question up is uh from a listener goes by the name of kent keller and it's regarding film versus digital and essentially i'm paraphrasing but essentially the question is um with regard to long exposures, is there any advantage or what are the, the major differences between doing a long exposure using an S, a digital SLR versus when we were using film and doing long exposures? And I, you know, it's a long and complicated answer, but I think the gist of it is uh, it's when digital cameras first came out, they didn't have the latitude or the ability to resolve all the information that was being fed into them over long exposures, thus resulting in a noisy exposure or something that looked more akin to you know, a TV that wasn't really plugged in correctly or didn't have a signal. So you get a lot of blocking up in the highlights and shadows when you did long exposures with these early digital cameras. But fast forward to now or, you know, back then with the early digital cameras, and if you contrast that to the to the film counterpart, so if you were shooting with ISO 100 negative film, you could do a really, really long exposure, meaning the latitude of that film was 
wide enough to allow you to do these long exposures and capture and have that flexibility to throw your camera on a tripod and have light streaking through there with little or no grain um, or very little grain. Uh, but fast forward to today, with today's uh, modern image sensors, they, uh, in my opinion, and correct me if I'm wrong on twiplog.com, but in my opinion, in many cases, if not all, they surpass the resolving power of film their film-based counterparts. So not only can you do what you were doing back then with digital, uh, you have more power because you can after the fact post-process it there's noise reduction algorithms built into the camera itself built into your post-processing software so you have more power to if you don't catch it at the mo the point of capture you can remove whatever noise did make it into your image or reduce it later in post-processing so that's that's the long drawn out answer to kent's question and the next question is assigned to miss sarah france it's about albums Sarah? So this question is from Patrick Fay, and the question is, I'm a wedding photographer that's looking for a reliable turnkey album maker. Apple's Aperture Book workflow is seamless, especially since I use Aperture for post-processing of the digital images, but I'd like to offer leather covers with gilded mats and mounted prints or hinged mat pages, etc. There's a little bit more to this question, but I'm just going to read that first part, and um, it gives the gist of it. So uh, I have some really good advice for you, actually. Um, Aperture Books, one of the things that a lot of people don't know about it is that you can actually export the pages as JPEGs and then send those to print and bind at any album company that you want to. So mm. um, one of the – we do all of our designing now through Aperture Books and um, export and print, and then we send ours to Leather Craftsman. Uh, they're a fantastic company. They do – excellent work and, and beautiful work. So um, that's one of the things I'd mention. If I give a complete detailed breakdown of that, because I get a ton of questions about it, we just finished an Aperture training DVD, um, and it's on shop.sarahfrance.com or my blog, or you can get to my website and then go to my blog and then go to my shop site, <laughs> any of those. <laughs> uh, but basically, another thing that you mentioned was the gilded mats and mounted pages. So that's basically for the flush mount design option. But for a matted design option, another thing that uh, you can use as a separate software is called Photo Junction. Um, it's a software that's out there, and they link directly with a company called Queensberry. And Queensberry does gorgeous albums. Uh, we have a few in the studio as well, and they are um, beautiful. And they have the option of doing matted albums that are actually free design. So meaning that you do the design in Photo Junction, do the layout, and then they cut the mat specifically for that design. So you can do a matted album or you can do a matted and flush mount combined. So they have what they call a duo album that does both of those together in one album. So they are phenomenal. They are quite a bit more expensive. Um, but you get what you pay for, for sure. So um, that was Photo Junction and Queensberry for a matted option, or you can continue to use Aperture and Aperture Books for a flush mount. And um, I go through a complete detail of how to use Aperture Books and um, get a really nice leather album out of it as well Excellent. in the training. Very cool. Thanks a lot, Sarah. And the next question is assigned to Mr. Aaron Mailer. It's about battery drain problems. 
Yeah, um, this is uh, submitted by uh, Callum Gubby, I believe, in the UK, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he says, uh, whenever I put my rechargeable batteries in my camera case, after about three days, they've lost half their power. They don't drain if I leave them on, for example, my shelf, but they will in the case. Um, and I, I, I'm afraid I'm going to have to initially answer the question with some more questions to Callum. So if you could write to us again and have some follow-up, and I, I kind of want to open this up to our listeners too. Um, I, I really, I'm not entirely sure why they would drain in your case, but not on the shelf. Um, you know, are you putting them in in a container of some sort before they go in your camera case? Um, my other question too, though, is whether you're whether you're referring to you know rechargeable batteries specific to your camera, or if you're talking about AA, AAA. Uh, batteries, things like that. So one thing I could tell you, uh, if it is AA and AAA, and and I've mentioned this in a a past show, I've recently switched all of my NIM batteries uh, to the newer type of what they often refer to as pre-charged NIM batteries or low drain. Um, uh, There's another term they use for them as well, but um, those are a new type of NIM battery that will tend to retain their life or retain their charge, 80% of their charge over the course of a year, which is a remarkable improvement over the normal NIM batteries because frequently NIM batteries will go pretty much dead in 30 days flat just sitting in your camera bag without you using them, which would bite me a lot if I wasn't using my, my strobes very often because I'd pull everything out and suddenly I didn't have any power and I was having to charge all my batteries ahead of time. So I've switched to the new ones. Um, Sanyo makes uh, a set that go under the brand name or the marketing name of Eneloop, E-N-E-L-O-O-P, and we'll mm-hmm. put a link in there, at least Amazon, for those. Uh, Duracell has them as well, uh, but I, I will say they do a remarkable job. You charge them up, they're going to hold their charge just about, you know, almost like you'd expect from your alkaline batteries, you know, over even the course of a year, if you don't use them, they should have at least 80% or more of their charge when you grab them, so proved uh, to work quite well but please um if you could uh callum write to us again give us a little more detail um uh, you know as to whether you're talking about double a's triple a's whether you're talking about the ones for your camera and any other details about how you're storing them or putting them in your bag because i'd really be curious to, to find out more and help you get to the bottom of it excellent all right well thanks a lot aaron <laughs> All right. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of This Week in Photography. Uh, I want to give you guys a chance to let people know where they can find you all if they want to follow you or otherwise keep up with your exploits online. Sarah Sarah France? You can find me at sarahfrance.com or whereintheworldisfrance.com or gobybags.com. Nice. And Mr. Mr. Steve Simon, where can people find you? Um, uh, stevesimonphoto.com and um, I'm going to be doing a workshop the end of August at the main workshops on uh, sort of um, it's going to be on for photographers working on long term projects and wanting to kind of see it through to a book and an exhibition and that kind of thing so go to the main workshops and and check it out if uh, you're interested very cool. Steve, you were just all over the place all the time. <laughs> I try to be. I try to be. <laughs> when's your, just quickly, when's your next international, John? I know you're, uh, you're, you used to be overseas all the time. Are you still, uh, you got anything uh, exciting planned? Um, well, I guess it's international. I'm going to Vancouver uh, on Wednesday. And, that, doesn't, uh, that doesn't count. That doesn't what? count. What? Of course it counts. You're going to invade mean. Canada soon. It's just going to be another state. <laughs> Yeah, well, I don't know if it may not mean much to uh, some listeners out there, but now there are 12 Tim Hortons in New York City. You don't know what that means, maybe, but somebody does. And there's no idea. Lisa Betney will probably know what that means. She understands. She knows. (laughs) All right. And Mr. Aaron Mailer, where can people find you if they're looking for you? Um, Best places on Twitter. Uh, is half press h a l f p r e s s and i do have a blog which hasn't gotten much attention lately but it will soon um and that's halfpress.com h a l f p r e s s.com 
Excellent. And if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me on my blog at frederickvan.com or on Twitter at twitter.com slash frederickvan. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. Oh, my God.